0: Good morning, welcome to Parkview, I'm Doug, one of the pastors here and it's great to be with you today and I wanted to just especially emphasize something today that um, maybe you're new or somebody invited you or I just want it to be crystal clear that everyone is welcome here and that um, when Jesus uh, approached us and, and was living on this planet, he made it very clear that anyone could come to him and so I was in a conversation with somebody this week, and it was just really cool to see her face light up when she understood that for the first time. She wanted to know God, but thought that she had to do some work to get stronger in her faith. And it was really cool just to go back to John 3:16, that It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever, we just kind of hung on that word, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So one of our Uh, DNA traits as a church is that we would love to be a people that enjoy God's presence. And the only way we can do that is because he is a God who is open to whoever, whoever wants to come to him, whoever knows they need a savior in Jesus Christ is totally welcome to come, so we are really uh, glad that you're here, and um, it, 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 we're getting close to football season. Vince Lombardi, the great Packer football coach, over the years used to pull out a football on the first day of practice and say, "This is a football. Like let's get let's get straight up and real, and this is what we're about." Okay, and so I what I wanted to do is start our time before we open the Bible, is just to kind of go back to the beginning and remember why we're here. Like we're here in God's presence. He welcomes everyone here. And we're here through Jesus uh, to worship Jesus, which is what God the Father would want us to do. And then he wants to speak to us. So in a little bit, when I open the Bible and talk to you, it's because God wants to talk to you. Not, it's not me. It's going to be this book and these words. And so this is a very uh, amazing thing. That we get to do together for the next 45 minutes or so is, is just enjoy the presence of God. And so, um, before we do that, I just wanted to lead you in a time of prayer. And so, if you could, maybe just quietly between you and God, just thank God that He welcomes you here. Thank God that He's He's a great God and He's good and He's infinite, but He's also very welcoming. He is glad you are here. So so praise Him for that. That He invites us to enjoy. His presence. Thank him for that. And then this morning, when we read from the Bible, we're going to look especially at what do you do when there's things in your life that just are not making sense and it seems like you've been praying to God and asking him to help and nothing is changing. Uh, we're gonna see a beautiful passage today that deals with that. And so before I start to teach, could you, could you just take one of those things to God right now? Like what is something in your life uh, that, that looks broken? Maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody around you that you care deeply about, something you've been asking God to help with. Um, could you bring that to him once again? He 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 welcomes you to do that. He's a good God. He wants to hear our hearts today. God, what what an amazing God you are and what an amazing privilege it is that we've given time now to just come and you've welcomed us here. This was your idea to gather together to celebrate your son. And that you welcome us to come as we are with our needs and our hurts and our brokenness. And and you want to speak to those today through your word. So I pray that happens, that you would be our teacher today. That your words would encourage and challenge your people today. God, we're here um, because you invited us and because you love us. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, thanks for doing that. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. This is definitely a morning you can use your table of contents. Habakkuk is a very short book in the back of the Old Testament. If you're using a phone or yeah, you can slide to it, that's fine. It's probably easier. But we're in Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, we've been studying this book for the last three weeks. We're going to end it today. We're going to read Habakkuk chapter 3, the last chapter. He is a prophet that lived about 500 years before the time of Jesus. What's really unique about this short book is that most of the time in a book of prophecy, God speaks to a prophet and then he speaks to God's people. But the book of Habakkuk shows God and Habakkuk having a conversation back and forth with each other. And so I'm, I'm bad at this. Like if I, um, I went with one of my older daughters to see, one of my daughters to see Toy Story 4, right? And so there's, there's, there's an ending there that I just, I, you know, somebody out there said, don't tell me the ending. So I'm that guy. Like, I, like if I see a great story, I got to tell the ending. So, but um, I, I'm going to do that today to you in Habakkuk chapter 3. This is an amazing ending, okay? And it's going to fit, but I just couldn't wait to tell you till the end of it. So the last three verses of Habakkuk chapter 3 go like this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So we may not connect directly with his situation, but just, it's safe. Just take my word for it. This is a really hard time for Habakkuk. There is not much hope going on here. There's there's, there's no blossom on the fig tree. That means there's not going to be any figs. Um, it's looking bad for the crops. It's looking bad for the flocks. He did not have welfare. They did not have hive, even a new hive with like a food court. They didn't have anything like that. Like he is in a desperate situation. Yet, verse 18 says, He's going to rejoice in the Lord. Like even in the midst of horrific situations around him, nothing has shaken his joy or his confidence. All right? I I played with this a little bit. And so let me just kind of phrase it. Like what would our Habakkuk 3.17 sound like? Maybe we could say something like this. If the doctor says the cells are malignant or benign, though my children follow God or reject their faith, Though a friend stays loyal to me or betrays me. Though our investments soar or they tank. Though tomorrow I get a raise or I get laid off. Or if my home is hit square on by an F5 tornado or that tornado goes around us. Like no matter what happens, my joy is going to be in the Lord. Like that is a powerful statement. And so... If we were around Habakkuk, the temptation might be to say, wow, Habakkuk, you are an amazing guy. Like how, maybe you know people like that. They've been through some hardship and you still see joy and you still see like they're serving others and you're just kind of, so you could go up to Habakkuk and say, you're amazing. Like how, how did you get there? And I think he'd say, no, listen, this is, this is not me. And that's what all of chapter three is about is how did Habakkuk get there? Because If Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, let me equate it to being on top of a mountain. Like, if you've ever hiked to a high place, and then from there, like, everything comes into view. Habakkuk could say, like, yeah, I'm on the mountaintop right now, but I I did not get here on my own. I did not. Because if you were with us a couple weeks ago in Habakkuk chapter 1, I'd say he was kind of down in the valley. Like, he was not happy with God. Like, there are things going on around him that he was not happy about. People in his own country who said they were following God were rejecting God's law, they were rejecting God, they were hurting each other. And Habakkuk said, God, aren't you gonna do anything about this, don't you see what's going on? And God said, oh yeah, I see what's going on and I'm gonna send the Babylonians and they're gonna come and they're gonna judge you guys. And so that freaked him out even more, it's like, what? Like, I know our people are bad, but the Babylonians are the worst. Like, what do you think you're doing, God? And the key to the whole book was in Habakkuk 2.4, where God said, okay, basically he said, Habakkuk, there's two ways you can approach your life. And so in in 2.4, he says this. He says, uh, talking about Babylon, he says, behold, his soul is puffed up and it is not upright with him. He said, uh, Habakkuk, you could live like the Babylonians. You could just go and do your own thing and reject God and live your own way. You can just be proud and do your thing, be puffed up. Or the end of verse four, he says, but the righteous will live by his faith. He said, Habakkuk, I am calling you and I'm inviting you to a deeper place with me so that your faith can grow so that you can see things in the way that they really are. But it's really your choice. And that's our choice today too, really day by day. Are we gonna, are we gonna trust God or are we gonna do our things? And when that is especially revealed, I think is in those times where it looks like life isn't making sense. And there, there's some legitimate ones. There's some hard things in this room, I know. Like the, those gaps between what is happening and what should happen. And there's times where you feel like, and I think God invites it. Like Habakkuk has shown us that. Like he's been, God, where are you? God? And so God invites that. And if you have those moments, give them to God. It's called a lament. And you see that throughout the Old Testament, that God's people will bring their laments to him. God, what are you doing? God, we don't understand. But at the end of the day, the choice is going to be, do we do our thing? Do we just trust ourselves, figure it out on our own, or do we trust God? And so, and so what God has invited Habakkuk into is into a closer relationship with him. And so all of chapter three is now kind of the crescendo of this book, right? It is so awesome, like what, what, what God showed Habakkuk is that they put it to a song okay you know you've written something cool if they turn it into a song right and so like chapter 3 verse 1 the very first line says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the this is one of those words you just put your head down and say it fast like off, okay and so that's either one of two things either that's a kind of instrument that you would play a song to or it might have been a familiar tune that they put his words to but guys these words were so profound and so helpful that, that God's people put it to music and then sang these words to each other. Because shortly after Habakkuk's time, uh, God's people were taken into exile, right? And then about 70 years after that, they were released and they came back to where they were from. But everything was kind of, kind of in ruins, so there were some hard times coming up for God's people, but Habakkuk's words were so timely and so spot on that they turned it into music so that they would sing these words to each other when times were hard, okay? Isn't that, it gives you a little backdrop of what we're reading here. So, so just in the first two verses, let's get started there. So uh, he says this in verse two, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So, he's a whole new perspective here, especially compared to where he was in chapter one. And one of your questions might be well, where did he get this new perspective? And I think we saw kind of the challenge, kind of the line was laid out for him in 2 4. You can either trust yourself or you can trust God. But I think at the end of chapter two, you see another statement that was made. In chapter 2, verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I think that Habakkuk had uh, kind of a one on one experience with God, where he reflected on God's word, on God's works in his past, and that Habakkuk had a moment with God. There are other places in the Old Testament that call it going into God's sanctuary. So here it was going into his holy temple or going into his sanctuary. Write down Psalms 73. It's another beautiful psalm where the writer is named Asaph. And he's having a real struggle with what God is doing. But then he comes into God's sanctuary, kind of gets an aha moment. And you see a whole different tone after that. I believe that Habakkuk had a moment like that where he, in the presence of God, lifted his eyes off of his circumstances and lifted them up to God. And he saw what God was doing. He saw what God has done. And that gave him a whole new perspective on what he was going through. And so I just wanna ask you this morning, like when is the last time that that you have done that? Like when is the last time you've shut everything out and it was just you and God? And, And even sometimes you'll notice, like in our prayers, a lot of our prayers to him are just evidence of us looking around, which isn't bad, he likes to hear from us. But when's the last time you just lifted your gaze and just looked at him and asked him to show you who he is and what he's done. That's what, that's what the rest, I believe, of Habakkuk 3 is about. Is it is it in that moment of looking up, God showed Habakkuk a lot of things that he has been doing and that he will continue to do as God. Okay, so so he remembers God's work of salvation. And so what you see in verses 3 to 15, um, scholars call it a theophany. It's like a description of God. Um, Maybe it's like this. Let's say that um, we had a big wall behind me where we could just start painting images or pictures of how God has worked in the Old Testament, okay? You would need somebody with way better art skill than me. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of stick guys, and, and you wouldn't tell what's going on. But let's say somebody really good started, like, painting all these images of how God has worked in the past, or maybe you've been to an older church, like with stained glass or maybe a cathedral in Europe or where you could literally walk around the room and just be, be moved. Like if you slip out of tourist mode and just start looking at the pictures, like maybe you'd see one of Jesus healing or Jesus, uh, an empty tomb or Jesus on a cross. And as, you would, as each picture would remind you of something God is doing, that's, that's kind of what Habakkuk does from verses three to 15. Or it's kind of like, like I said, this is like a song It's like an especially well-written song where every lyric has a backstory to it. Like every lyric could be pulled out and just explained what the composer went through, what the, the writer of that song went through. and that's So it's kind of a hard one to preach. We could be here till three in the afternoon like breaking down each verse and the imagery behind it. But let me just give you a feel for that and maybe we'll just start putting a few pictures on this um, this 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 scene, this backdrop of what God has done for His people. See, look at verse three, um, is is the first one we'll look at on this montage. It says that God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Peron. His splendor covered the heavens, and his earth was full of praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled. His power. Those two um, places, Taman and Mount Peron point us back to God when He spoke to His people from Mount Sinai, where God uh, had just rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. They'd been there for 400 years. Now they are just kind of a wandering, defenseless people. and God brings them to Mount Sinai, where the imagery there is, the depiction is that God's presence is clearly with them. And so there's thunder and there's awe and there's lightning and there's just flashes of light and just there's a fear and an awe of God, the creator being right with them. But at the same time, it's from that place that God invited Moses to come up to that mountain, and where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and God gave Moses descriptions of what it means that he was going to be their covenant, God, that he was going to be in relationship with them, so those were some amazing moments for god 's people on on two hands: one is that the God of creation chose to hang out with them and be their God, and so there 's kind of that wow he 's amazing, and i 'm scared of that awe and that power, but at the same time, he wants me here he 's communicating with us like he 's committing. Himself to us. So he's reflecting back at those moments in verses 3 and 4. And then you go to verse 5, and he says, Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He he stood and he measured the earth. He looked and he shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered, and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. So I think he's reflecting back to when his people were in slavery in Egypt. The way that God rescued them was that he brought plagues and pestilences on the Egyptians. Like those plagues would only hit Egyptians and not God's people. Till finally, like Pharaoh got smart enough like, uh, I should let these people go. Like that was a good decision. He let them go. And so God used the, his mighty power to rescue his people. And so then God leads them through a wilderness into a land where when he says God, God measured out the land, it was like God had already prepared a place for them. Like God moved and drew boundaries and said this is gonna be your land. And there were other Uh, peoples there. There were big cities and fortified, walled cities there. But it says that God shook them out. It's kind of like if you go to the beach and you get sand on your blanket and you're heading home, you just kind of shake that thing out. Like God just shook out the land. Like all these huge, like again, remember, you're just a nomadic people rescued from 400 years of slavery. You probably don't, you know, you're just kind of walking through the wilderness. And here this God has gone before you, mapped out a land, shook out your enemies. He's just in awe of that. And so there'd be pictures of Egypt and plagues and the mountain and thunder and lightning. And then verse 7 says, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. So on this montage, maybe on the fringes you would draw like the neighboring countries looking at this, right? And so you've got Kushan you've got Midian and so they're looking from the outside of this and they're scared to death like they are like what in the world is going on for those people like who is this God in their midst who are they they're just a bunch of average people that just got released from slavery and this God is doing all that for them there was awe and dread like they were so feared because God was in their midst and so that's another just place of celebration he's just so again around the edges of the montage there's all these people just in awe of God, and didn 't know that they they could be invited in too, but at this moment they were just in awe and fear and so verse eight he says, "Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? I think those are images of how God just just stepped in and moved." big bodies of water to let his people escape from Egypt and walk across the Red Sea or when God just allowed his people to step into the promised land like moving a river at flood stage we're pretty familiar with that around Iowa these days so like but he took a flood stage river and parted it so that God's people could walk right in so there'd be some pictures of Red Sea parting of of Jordan River parting and so it just goes on and so to eventually that montage is just filled with pictures and images of how God has just flexed his muscles and defeated the enemies of his people like just a a powerful montage and I think for Habakkuk one of the crescendos had to come in verse 13 where he's remembering all these powerful acts but then verse 13 really brings it home like you went out for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked. The reason God poured out all this power, the reason God showed all these amazing works is that he cared for his people. Like he was coming through for them. He was showing them mercy. And we saw that clear back in in verse two where in God's sanctuary, he said, God, I see your power. And the only thing he was left to say is like, God, would you please be merciful? Okay, so let me go back to that sanctuary where I asked you like, when's the last time you just got in the presence of God and you took your eyes off of your circumstances and you just looked up at him. Um, can I can I tell you maybe one of the telltale signs that you have really been in the presence of God? And please don't, like, just keep going. Like, if you don't hit this every time, just keep going. He loves it that you're there, you know? But I, I believe for me, one of the telltale signs that I'm really in the presence of God, you might say, well, I felt really close to him or I felt his love. And I mean, those are really good. I think that... <laughs> I think when you're really there, what's gonna come out of your mouth is, is gonna be, um, God have mercy. God have mercy. Because I think you're gonna be just confronted with how great, how holy, how amazing he is. And at the same time, it's, it's you, right? It's me. And, and I think one of the true signs that we're really there is like, God have mercy. And what's beautiful is, as if he's a God full of mercy. His mercies are new every day. Like that's, that's, I think that's the score. Like when you've been in his presence is that you're in awe, you cry out for mercy and there he is. And so that's what I really think of this montage or of this song, like for Habakkuk where it just really turned the page was verse 13 where he said, God remembered his mercy. He went out and showed all of his power to rescue us. And we were just a bunch of slaves that he rescued committed himself to us, and he was our God, he was our defender, he saved us, he rescued us. So again, let me just suggest that whenever, and it's summer, you got good time for this, like it stays late lighter, you could sit on your deck one night and do this, or you can get up earlier and it's still light out, right? And you can maybe have one of these sanctuary moments, maybe uh, you can kind of, you don't have to draw a montage, but maybe you just start writing out your past, and like, how has God been Good to you. How has he provided for you? How has he shown his power for you and his mercy for you? And just and just write those down. But that's that's what Habakkuk has been doing. And that is how Habakkuk was able to remember my spoiler alert verses at the end, you know, at the beginning, they're actually here at the end. Let me just read them again now that you kind of see it in context, and how he got there. So after doing all of this, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, or the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God the Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the deers, he makes me tread on my high places, this salvation, this God, that you're invited to be in relationship with completely handles any situation you can face, good or bad. Like nothing can shake your joy when you are at this spot with the God of all creation. And so if, again, if we were to go to Habakkuk and say, you're an amazing man. How did you, how do you do that? He would just quickly hold up his hand and say, did you, did you not hear what I just said? Like I said, I said, (laughs) that God is my salvation. I said, he is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. So, great time to talk about deer uh, in our area now. I can almost pet one every morning. I'm driving to Parkview these days. They're everywhere, right? And you see the little ones with them now too. They're amazing to watch. I was um, in the shelter early in the morning this week reading my Bible and I saw... Um, a, a mother deer kind of helping her baby navigate, kind of sneaking through the condos over there and then crossing Foster Road. But they're so nimble, the way they just like can jump over a fence or in the, in the, you know, mountains where you see even the mountain goats just kind of make it look easy the way they hop up. That's what Habakkuk is saying. You know, God gives me the ability to do that. My dog is a black lab. Baba, he's not nimble. Like, so we were on a we were on a hike with him a couple weeks ago, and he face planted. Like, he was going over a log, and even the rest of the day, his face was just dirty because he just face planted on that. And so maybe deer do that too. Maybe in heaven, God can show us deer blooper highlights of like they got to like in the woods have their moments, right, where they stumble and fall. But I, I've never seen one. They just look awesome the way they can just kind of skip and go. And look at look at that in the Bible. There's different times where God kind of um, is, you know, the, what God does for us, uh, you'll see that phrase, he makes my feet like the deers, like he, he enables me to handle what's going on, um, because he's the one giving me the power, and so Habakkuk would say, this isn't me, like this this is what God is doing through me, as he's reminding me of how great he's been, and how merciful he is, and so, and so the ultimate way that he's done that for us, in case you're saying, well, I don't have olive trees. I don't have herds uh, in my stalls. Like, so um, I want to take us back to verse 13 because this is for all of us, this part, okay? When, when he said this, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. The Hebrew word for anointed is is the word Messiah, all right? And so in the, in that verse, the way it's paralleled, it looks like it's paralleling your people, with the anointed, where the illusion there is my people are anointed. They're kind of set apart. I'm really caring for them. But when you're, when you're interpreting Old Testament prophecy, there's always a a short term. And then there's a big picture long term. And so the short term, I think is true that God is, these people are his people. He's going to care for them. When they go into captivity in Babylon, he's going to bring them back. He's going to still be their God. He's going to punish the Babylonians. So all of that is short term. But I do believe that word is a very significant word in that it's reminding us of the big, the big picture of what God did. Because when he brought his people back from Babylon and helped them reestablish Jerusalem and the worship there, and they were a people again. Again, about 500 years later, uh, Jesus was born the Messiah. And just as God had promised that through his people would come a savior who would be the savior of the world, who would rescue not just this nation of Israel, but like everyone that has ever lived. I think that's a clear picture there to God offering salvation, offering rescue to all of us, offering this, this joy to everyone. And so God was working a plan even through Habakkuk's day to bring rescue and salvation to the whole world, to everybody that has ever lived. And so uh, Jesus has come to, to defeat our greatest enemy, sin and death. And so you look at the cross And when Jesus died, that's where he defeated our enemies. Sin and death rose again from the dead to give us life, to prove his victory over sin and death. And now he is there to offer us uh, a joy that is lasting. Just like in the Old Testament where they knew God was present with them and they had his law and he communicated now. It is an even better picture where this God offers to come and live within you through Jesus, that he is God with us, that he is God in you through what Jesus has done. Uh, Jesus has broken down the wall that was between us and God. And so remember at the back of the beginning of Habakkuk in chapter 1, he saw what should have been, and he saw what was, and there was a gap. And he's saying, like, God, this isn't right. Like, look look how your people are acting. Look at the injustice, and here's who you are. But I, I think um, we can do that too. We can look at our world today and say look at all the stuff that's wrong. But I think what's front and center for us is that there's another gap that's screaming for our attention and that's the gap between who God has made us to be and how we live, <laughs> you know? And so, and so um, God sees that gap in every one of us. That's why Jesus needed to come because that gap comes from sin, from us re- resisting God, doing our thing instead of his thing And Jesus, in his mercy, came to die for sinners, came to die for people that have this gap so that you can be forgiven for that sin and so that you can have power over that sin and so you can begin to live the way that God has created you to live. Like that is uh, an amazing gift. And it is in that place of joy, in that relationship with God, that I think three things can happen to us. Okay, the first step is that you can be restored in a relationship with God, that that gap you know, that's there because of your sin, because you have fallen short. Jesus died for that sin. He takes away that sin. He forgives that sin so that you can know, like if you have a sanctuary moment this week where you go on your deck and you're trying to talk to God, you can know that he hears you. You can know that you are his son or daughter because Jesus has taken away that sin, okay? So he can restore your relationship with God. I think second then is that he gives you access uh, to To his presence, where he can then show you what he has done in the past and what he is doing in your life now and and how you can he 's calling you to faith in him, that comes um, also as evidence of that of that relationship you have now with God through Jesus and the last one is this um, when when Jesus rose again from the dead um, and, and won that great victory for us, died on the cross, rose again from the dead he appeared that night with, uh, in a room with some of his followers, and so they had been hearing stories that Jesus was alive and, and it was, but they were still afraid, and the doors were, cl- were locked and closed, and they were in this room and Jesus just suddenly appeared to them, and so they were afraid he had a couple of times say to them, peace, peace be with you, and calm down so, but then he said this to them, As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you so When you have this salvation from God, your relationship is restored. He can help you through your hard times. You can still have joy. But there's a third level to this. It's not just that you can be okay when hard times come your way. But you can be so secure in who God is and what he's done for you that now you can willingly step into places when you, when you see this gap in our world and you see things that aren't right, instead of just going back and going, man, somebody should do something about that. And God would say, oh, why don't you? Like, you know, Jesus came to, to rescue you. He came to take you from the bottom of the mountain and he showed you the journey to the top. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you go back down to the valley, find some other people that are struggling there or looking and they're hurting. And what if you just kind of took a risk and went down... And did that. So um, there's a family sitting right in front of me that their daughter has taken that invitation uh, from Jesus, got her prayer letter this morning from Southeast Asia and um, in a place that's been brutally hot. It was hot here yesterday, but nothing compared to this part of the world the last couple of weeks. And um, kind of some hostility in this area in different ways. But even in that moment, teaching English to some children, one of them asked her, um, are, you, are you a Muslim? And she got to kind of whisper, I follow Jesus, you know? And so if you knew who this person was, just amazing joy and um, life. And just what a beautiful picture of her risking what was a good setup here, a good family, good friends, a good job, but to be so secure in what God has done for her that she's willing to go and make sure that others get to know that they can go to the top of the mountain too. So um, that, that's what Jesus is offering us today. So I was trying to think how to wrap this up, and I was driving home from Cedar Falls last night. Three of my five immediate family are still up there. So um, my daughter goes to you and I, and I'm learning more about Cedar Falls. There's something this time of year called Sturgis. I just knew about the one in South Dakota with all the Harleys, right? So but there's a Sturgis celebration in Cedar Falls, and there was a big race this morning. So my son ran a half marathon. My daughter ran a 5K, and then there's an outdoor church service where my daughter is an intern at Prairie Lakes Church. So three of them are up there doing all that. My son did great in the half marathon. My daughter finished, which is great. So, But the other, uh, the other daughter and I um, were driving back last night, Uh, Hannah and Hannah spent a semester last semester in Scotland. And we were just around all these runners last night. So maybe that's how we got this analogy of Eric Little. He was Scottish. He won a gold medal in 1924 in Paris. He was an amazing runner. He's also uh, uh, very much in love with Jesus Christ. So this is like an example of Habakkuk 3. So a man in great success was just given a gold medal. And this is what he said. It has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal. But since I've been a young lad, memory Scottish, a young lad, I had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I may have run in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. Like that, it's so cool. He just won a gold medal. He's probably in his early 20s. It'd be really easy to get full of yourself and be all about you. He's like, no, this is cool, but you know what? I'm in another race. I found something better. If you track, a lot of people know that, and there was Chariots of Fire, there was a movie made about him and all that. But if you continue to track his life, he went to China then as a missionary. He was raised there by his parents. And he lived there during a very intense time when the Japanese occupied in the early 1940s. They encouraged everybody to get out of the country. And so his wife was pregnant, had two young kids, and he did send them to Canada, but he chose to stay. And then he was placed in a Japanese internment camp and it was horrible environment. Um, no running water, no working bathrooms. just open cesspools, rats, disease, sickness. But he would wake up every morning there and spend an hour in his Bible, Reading the Bible and talking about God with a roommate. And then the rest of the day, his goal was to bring life to that camp. And he was known as Uncle Eric. Like he would go around and just rally the kids together and he would tutor them and he taught them and he'd get a lot of sports competitions going, and he was the only one ever, anyone ever trusted to be the referee because he was always fair, and he was always good for everybody, and so um, this, this guy was just heroic, and then they would lead Bible studies, and, and so uh, that was his calling and his mission there, and he ended up dying at a very young age of a combination of different health factors um, that took him out in that camp, and so his final words when he was dying, he said two words. He said, "Full." surrender, full surrender, because he had found something far better than even life and comfort itself. And so he was fully willing to just full surrender to this God who had done so much for him. And toward the end of his life, he said this, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God isn't helpless among the ruins. God's love is still working. He comes in and he takes the calamity. And he uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. That is a guy who's living on a mountaintop. And that's what it looks like on both ends, winning a gold medal or throwing it all in because you want to live a life of full surrender. And that's where you go, man, I could never get there. That's where God would love to take every one of us. And wouldn't that be awesome if we were a church who was just known uh, for a people who just, we enjoy God's presence. And like when we're in the presence of God, you know, come what may, we're going to have joy. And then as we look and we see things that aren't right and broken in this world, man, we're going to be saying, God, could you send me there? God, I want to go. I want to, I want to show people how to get to the top of the mountain. So let me close this. Let me close this in prayer. And um, let me just invite you to pray first. And um, I have asked you to do this maybe sometime in the next week or two, but why don't you start drawing up a montage right now? Like what would be some of the moments in your life or some of the people in your life that God has used to help you where God has shown his power for you and his mercy, start drawing that montage now and just thank God. Thank him for being merciful to you, for showing his power to you. I don't want to tell you what to do but as you're drawing your montage could you please save a bunch of space right in the middle of it because the greatest thing he's done for you is you would just draw a cross there you would draw a cross because at that cross is where um, the Messiah Jesus the Son of God came and he died for you and he showed his greatest power on your behalf. He defeated sin and death, and he showed it his greatest, greatest mercy for you because you didn't deserve that, and he gave his life for you. And so that cross there will help you because the darkest day that ever happened on this planet was when the sinless son of God was hanging on that cross. And so you've got some hard things in your life too, but when you lay, you lay your hard thing before the cross, And then you also look at that montage and you see the great things God has done for you. Mm It brings you a lot of perspective because God took that worst thing that's ever happened on the cross and he turned that into the greatest thing that has ever happened to this planet. Mm That the sinless son of God died for us to set us free from sin and free from death and give us access to the creator of the universe so that we can come to him at any time with whatever it is that's struggling us and find hope and peace, and joy, and then be sent by him back to a world um, that, that needs to know him. So make sure that cross is right in the, fr- right in the center of your montage. And then, and then do that. Like, what was, what was that thing you prayed for at the beginning of my message? Like, what is tugging on your heart, breaking your heart? Could you just literally just lay that down in front of the cross? and say, here it is, Jesus, you are powerful. You are merciful. Please work. I ask you to do one more thing. Like So maybe it's what you just laid before him, but when you look around, and you just see some pain or you see some hurt, maybe it's local, maybe it's a part of the world, maybe it's some people you know, Um, and you see some pain, you see some brokenness, maybe I wonder if in a new way or a fresh way you say, okay, God, with everything you have given me, I wanna go, I wanna go to them, I wanna go to that person, I wanna build a friendship, I wanna take the gospel, I wanna show them how they can go up this path to the mountain and find who you really are, so maybe in a fresh way say, God, would you send me, would you send me to go and, and help and lead someone to you? God, thank you for four weeks in a very small book of the Bible that a lot of times we just flip past to get to the New Testament. Thank you that you slowed us down as a church to just stop and and listen to the things you taught at And I pray this wouldn't be a study that just quickly fades in the history of this church, but this would be a book of the Bible that truly has grabbed our attention, that has truly shown us what to do when we don't know what to do, when our hearts are crushed. And we're asking you, God, what's going on? That you have shown us a path that we can go to the top of the mountain where you can assure us that you're with us, you're good. And then that you could send us to be a church that isn't afraid to go to the darkest of places and show people how they can find hope. So do your work in us through this book. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.